Heavenly Father, we come to your word now, Lord. We thank you. We had the blessed opportunity to sing your praises, Father, and to share testimonies from the heart. And Lord, I pray as we come to your word that, Father, you might open our hearts once again to receive it, to understand. Illuminate our hearts, Lord, that we might see you more and more in in the every aspect of our lives, Father. And we'll thank you, Lord, for what we learned from Esther tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles, we're continuing our series in the book of Esther, and we've arrived at chapter 5. So we're looking at chapter 5 tonight, chapter 5 of Esther. Okay, where are we? If you haven't been with us on a Sunday night, uh, just a quick catch up here as you most of you know the story uh, King uh, Hazarus or, or Xerxes uh, he had a fallout with his queen uh, Vashti and she would not obey him therefore she was banished from the kingdom and he looked for another one they brought the girls in all the ladies and of the land so he could pick a new queen and of course it ended up being Esther all in God's sovereign plan. And of course, Esther's, Esther's guardian, uh, who had raised her as an orphan girl, is Mordecai. And so Mordecai, now that Esther is queen, Mordecai is kind of in the background, but he's around the palace, but everybody knows that he is uh, the stepfather, kind of, of of Esther. However, remember that Mordecai told Esther, be silent about who you are as a Jew. Do, this is to remain secret because it could be devastating should the king find out. And so whole th- the whole idea was to keep it quiet. But of course, as we know, Satan, his whole plan throughout history was to annihilate the Jewish nation to crush them however he could and he used nations God allowed nations of the world to punish his people to chastise them and take them into captivity and that's why they're in in Persia here because of that but also Satan has used the worldly kingdoms to try and wipe out the Jewish nation so that there would be no messiah that would stop the, he knew they were the chosen people of God, and Satan is doing anything he can to stop the plan of God. And so we're going to, so we see it now, uh, as we move through the story, a new man shows up on the scene named Haman. And Haman was a wicked man who was very close to the king, and the king elevated him to a high position in the kingdom. So that he had everything pretty much. And with it uh, came out his pride. And we're going to see that here tonight. And so, as you recall, uh, uh, Mordecai got the message of what Haman was planning to do. That Haman had a plan. He was the one Satan was going to use to try and wipe out all the Jews in all the provinces. And so Haman began uh, 
his his goal to to wipe them out and he talks to the king because now he's elevated and at a position where he can talk to the king and tells the king about these terrible people uh um, who are continue to grow much like Egypt and Pharaoh and uh, when when Israel was growing in number and but Haman uh, had his eyes set on destruction of the Jews and so the king agreed and so word got back to Mordecai now Esther had not known anything about this you recall she knew nothing uh, the king doesn't confide in her or anything. So this was a secret plan that the king uh, said, okay, Haman, you carried out. And then posters started being set up. But it's almost like Esther was the last one to know. But Mordecai, as you recall, he, when he found out, he began to mourn. He put on sackcloth and ashes and began to mourn in the streets. Especially he went right near the king's gate, near the palace, and began to mourn for the Jews. And so word began to get out. And then he sent word to Esther. Esther, you've got to go to the king. And you have to speak on behalf of our people that you might save them. Because you're going to be wiped out as well as us. Because you're a Jew. And so you must talk to the king and uh, about the, this whole plan which is evil, that Haman has put together. And, of course, as you recall, we looked at last week that, that Esther was too frightened to go into the king's presence just to ask him this. If she walked into the king's presence, as you recall, she could lose her life uh, if she was not summoned by the king. Okay, so... This is important that even the queen couldn't just walk in to the throne room and go, hey, I, I have something I need to discuss with you, O king. No, she could have lost her life. So she's afraid of losing her own life. And finally, once Mordecai uh, sends another message, you will perish too. Look with me now at verse 16, okay, of chapter 4, and then we'll go into chapter 5. Verse 15 of Esther 4. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. In other words, she's going to break the Persian law of walking into the king's throne room. And she says, and if I perish, I perish. Basically, this was a turning point in the whole story and in the life of Esther herself. Because she has come to the place where she was willing to lay down her life for her people. If I perish, I perish. That just And basically she sent out word, pray for me. Let's get a big prayer chain going and pray for me as I'm about to go into the king. 
and I'm going to confront him with this. And yes, I may die over this. And so she, she finally got up the courage. God gave her the courage. And so we come to chapter 5. <clears throat> so let's look at verses 1 to 3 for us together. Now it came about on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's rooms. And the king was sitting on the royal throne in the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And it happened when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court. She obtained favor in his sight. And the king extended to Esther the golden scepter which was in his hand. So Esther came near and touched the top of the scepter. Then the king said to her, What is troubling you, Queen Esther? And what is your request? Even to half the kingdom it will be given to you. Now, I want you to picture this, okay? Because... She didn't march right up to the throne, but what she did, she did the old, uh, I'm going to walk around and hopefully the king will see me. You know, that where he was and where the court was, where she was, she was standing, it was within view of, of the king. And she was praying that King Hazarus would notice her. And that, that was her goal. And sure enough, in God's providence, he saw her from a distance. And he caught her, uh, he, uh, she caught his eye at that moment, and then he summoned her and asked her to come closer. And so it worked. God was setting this all up. Now notice, the, uh, notice verse 1, and it came about... On the third day. It came about on the third day. Does the term third day ring a bell in according to other parts of Scripture? Especially one. On the third day, what happened? Yes, thank you, Bob. The resurrected Jesus Christ rose from the dead on the third day. And what we have, it, we begin to see. Uh, through this story, a type of Christ. Esther is a type of Christ here. And here is reference to the third day. And suddenly she is stepping up and she is willing to lay down her life if that's the, what is, it's going to take, lay down her life for her people, just like our Lord Jesus did laying down his life for us, and then the third day rising from the dead. What a beautiful picture she presents of our Lord Jesus in going to the cross for us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we as have been forgiven, and notice that when she was called by the king, she was accepted into the king's presence, and... When he received her, what did she do in verse 2? Notice, the king extended to Esther the golden scepter which was in his hand. 
That gesture of, of putting out his golden scepter towards her was a sign of acceptance, was a sign that the king was accepting her, that he didn't call for the guards and say she shouldn't be here, she didn't ask for an appointment, take her out and, and remove her and kill her. But this was a sign. And notice it says, so Esther came near and touched the top of the scepter. I want to tie this in to us individually as we, uh, as the, the bride of Christ, the privilege we have of entering into the presence of God. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, if you will. Hebrews 10. And look with me at verse 19. Hebrews 10, and we'll pick it up at verse 19. The writer of Hebrews says, Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy of holies, or the holy place, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from this evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water." Here we see the beautiful picture that's presented to us of of what allows us, what has allowed us to enter into the presence of God in prayer and one day for all of eternity. And it is what Jesus Christ did for us. As the king put out his scepter to Esther, so Jesus Christ put out his body and allowed himself to be crucified, to die for us, and his blood was received as, as payment for our sin, and therefore uh, the tearing apart of Jesus' body on the cross made entrance for us so that we might be accepted into the presence of God. Notice in verse 20, the blood of Jesus gave us a new and living way by which he, Jesus, inaugurated us through the veil that is his flesh. What, is, what does the writer mean by through the veil? Well, of course, we remember that as Jesus died on the cross and he breathed his last breath and cried, it is finished. Do you remember what happened in the temple? The veil was torn in two. From what? Top to bottom. Showing that only God could do this. And this was a four inch thick veil, 30 feet high, and no man could reach up and do it. But God was separating, that veil stood between the priest and the Ark of the Covenant, or the Holy of Holies. And there is when that, that, that veil was torn in two, it was representative of the fact that Jesus' death on the cross, he was the veil spiritually 
that, separate, that, that, that his body became the sinful veil that separated us from God and was torn apart for us so that we could now have entrance into the throne room of God. Have you ever thought how, how incredible it is that sinners like you and I can just call upon the Lord God of the universe, that he will hear us and that we call him Father and we are his children? It amazes me, and I can can never get to the point of of truly understanding it, but the grace of God. But Jesus made the way. So I wanted you to see the comparison here of how Esther was allowed into the presence of the king by the scepter as Jesus' blood was shed and laid out that we could be received into the throne room of God. So if you'll go back with me now, let's turn back to Esther chapter 5. And as we saw, she obtained favor in the eyes of the king. And then we come to verse 3. Then the king said to her, What is troubling you, Queen Esther? And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom, it will be given to you. So he knew that she was there for a reason. And there's something that was troubling her. He sensed it. He wondered that her being there, there must be a request on her heart. He just, he just sensed this. And so this was the opportunity for her to speak. She gets the opportunity to speak. And now look with me at verses eight, uh, 4 through 8. And Esther said, If it please the king... May the king and Haman come this day to the banquet that I have prepared for him. Prepared for who? For Haman. It's almost like, I'm going to, let's have a a special dinner for good old Haman. You know, he's he's been elevated in your eyes. And so she says, I'd like to plan a banquet for him and you, O king. Verse 5. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly, that we may may do as Esther desires. So the king and Haman came to the banquet which Esther had prepared. So it's all set up. The king ran and sent word, go get Haman. Hey, there's a special meal just for him. I don't know how many of you remember a time when a, a meal was prepared, especially in your honor. Maybe some of you who've reached a milestone in your marriage and there was that, that milestone of maybe 50 years married. And, and so what does your family do? They, they celebrate. They're going to either make, plan a big dinner, take you out to dinner with family and friends, and it's in your honor. Well, Esther is kind of saying, I'm, I'd like to put on a banquet for you, Haman. This is, this is in honor of you. And so she does this, and then as, the, as they all come together, look at verse 6, and as they drank their wine at the banquet, and the, the king said to Esther, okay, what is your petition? For it shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom it shall be done. 
So they're all sitting there at the banquet. She has an opportunity to finally uh, pour out her heart to the king, which may mean her death. But notice something about the king. He offers her practically anything. He offers her, in fact, he says, if you even want half my kingdom, I will give it to you. Isn't that remarkable? To be offered the whole, offered the kingdom. And here, it, it, the, uh, uh, she could have had half the kingdom if she wanted to. But that didn't deter her. He offers this kingdom. And, uh, of course, the Lord Jesus has done that for us uh, in offering the kingdom to us. Can you imagine that we are accepted by the Father through Jesus Christ? And he wants us to reign with him one day. So, again, look at the parallel of, of our relationship with Jesus Christ. The king here says, Esther, you can have half my kingdom. Jesus says to us, And one day you shall reign with me. And remember the disciples would say, uh, Lord, who will be the greatest in the kingdom? They all wanted to be number one in the kingdom. They all wanted to be like Haman. Haman wanted to be like top dog. And so the disciples were fighting over, no, Jesus is going to put me as, as the greatest in the kingdom. And they're all arguing. They asked Jesus, do you remember Jesus' answer? What did he say? He, what did he bring before him? A child. He brought a child before him. And except uh, you become as little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. But you, uh, he said, you must humble yourself as a child. You see, God is looking for the heart of humility in his people in you and I. And how easy it is for pride to rise up and get a hold of us just like it did the disciples and we want something better. You know, we're we're not willing we want the best from the Lord. You know, God give me the best this, give me the best that. And when I get to your kingdom, you know, oh man, wouldn't it be wonderful if I if I had this position or that? But the Lord Jesus is looking for a heart of humility. And what we are going to see is quite the opposite in the heart of this man, Haman. This is quite incredible as we we go down here. So we come to uh, verse 7 again. So Esther answered and said, My petition and my request is... All suspenseful. What's what she going to say? If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my petition and do what I request, may the king and Haman come to the banquet which I shall prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king says. Wait a minute. What is, she, what is she asking for? She's already prepared the banquet, which she invited the king and Haman to. So they're all sitting around drinking wine. And he says, okay, what, is, what, what do you want? 
Esther, come and ask. And we don't know why she didn't tell him there. But perhaps she just got a sense that this was not the time. Somehow, whether it was the, the vibe she was getting from Haman or the king, but for some reason, she put it off. And what does she do? She says, I'd like to have a second banquet in your honor. So can we have another one tomorrow? In other words, we're having such a good time here. Uh, let's, let's have one tomorrow. Would that be okay, king? And so he agrees. She was not ready at that point to present her request uh, to save the Jewish people. And there's a reason. We don't understand why, but God postponed her speaking to move and try and move the king's heart. And sometimes God will, in our lives, he will postpone things. He will cause us. Have you ever felt hesitant? You're doing something and God has opened a door and suddenly you felt hesitant about something and uh, you felt, well, maybe I should do it. Maybe I shouldn't. But then, and you've prayed about it, you've prayed about it, but something has held you back. Many times the Holy Spirit will work in our lives where he will, he will keep us from moving forward. Many times we will begin to move in the will of God, and then suddenly uh, we come to a point of decision. And many times we may pause and wait. Pause is not always a bad thing. Here, it, for some reason, God uh, <clears throat> is using it uh, for a good thing. And remember, the pauses in our life are used of God to get us to maybe rethink things, to prepare ourselves for what, what he has planned, what is lying before us. It may be, you know, if you have a job that has been offered, and so... You're, you wonder, should I take that job? Should I not not take it? And then you get to that place where, oh, yes, I should. No, I, 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 have a, uh, I don't have complete peace about it. We must always be uh, discerning about the spirits uh, moving in our hearts. And if he, if he gives us those doubts of reservations to, with, to not move forward, we must take that from the Lord. And so here... She did not have peace about moving forward. And so the second banquet was prepared. And so verse 9. They were going to plan this other, uh, a second banquet. And we come to verse 9. So Haman... He leaves that banquet, and she's going to put on another one for him. Then Haman went out that day, glad and pleased of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and that he did not stand up or tremble before him, Haman was filled with anger against Mordecai. So, want you to picture this now. Picture it that here is Haman. He's got everything he wants. And now he's been honored by a second banquet that's, that's going to come fr- from Esther. And so he leaves. 
you know, skipping, jumping, yay, what a happy day. Happy day for Haman. And he's walking by the king's gate. Now remember, the feast of prayer for three days is over. It has concluded. So now at this time, Haman is, I'm sorry, Mordecai is, is wearing his, his old clothes again, his regular clothing. The sock, sackcloth and ashes are gone. And so he's, he's, what's he, he's back at the king's gate where he normally would sit. And he was sitting there. And then as he's sitting there, Haman comes out of the palace and walks by Mordecai. Of course, he has hatred for this guy. Being a Jew, he wants to annihilate all the Jews, and he wants to start with, with Mordecai. He expects Mordecai, like everybody else, it's like if the president, walked, the queen of England walked in or something, you're supposed to get up, you know, you're supposed to bow or whatever, and he was supposed to get up. He's sitting there by the gate, and Mordecai just sits there and, and lets Haman walk by, and Haman looks at him. And everybody else stands up in his presence, almost like he was a king. But he looks at Mordecai, and Mordecai doesn't care. He's not going to, Mordecai is not going to give him honor. And so he just sits there. Well, this enrages Haman. His pride overtakes him. And it turns to extreme rage and anger. <clears throat> and it's funny that he has everything this world could offer. But one person bothers him, and he can't get over it. It stays with him. He's going to go home, and he's going to carry that rage and anger all the way home and tell his family about it. You know, and then he's going to brag about all that he has, but, but this guy, this guy really makes me mad. Has anyone in your life ever made you that way? That kind of just made you mad and upset and, you know what I mean? It may have been pride. Your pride was hurt. My pride was hurt by something someone said or something they did. And we can get angry. And anger fills up in us. And a lot of times maybe that anger is because of our pr- proud heart. And we, we, we carry that anger. And if someone has done something to us or hurt us, have you, do you ever recall going home with that person on your mind? Oh, yes. We all have, right? The person who's injured us or harmed us or said something about us and, uh, and upset us in such a way that we can't forgive. And all we can think about is maybe revenge or, ooh, that irks me. And we have all the blessings that God gave us, but... Our mind is consumed because of pride and because of anger to, uh, at, at someone else. Oh, that the Lord may get us to a place, the only place we can truly have peace and enjoy peace in our mind and our heart and put our head on the pillow and sleep peacefully is if I turn it over to the Lord and, turn, and, and anything that anyone's done to me, I choose to forgive them. I choose to forgive them, not harbor bitterness in my heart. And they need to come to a place where I say, Lord, you are my defender. I was wronged. 
Lord, they said this against me, but Lord, I am going to turn them over to you, Lord, and I'm letting go of them and the bitterness in my heart. Suddenly, you suddenly have a sense of peace and calm because you've left it in the hands of the Lord. And then guess what? When we choose to forgive, we can, we can live our life with joy and peace because we have turned it over to the Lord and we're not walking around with an unforgiving heart. Uh, here's a man, now though he was an evil man, pride did get the best of him. <clears throat> Look with me now uh, as, as we pick it up again in verse 10. Haman controlled himself, however, went to his house and sent for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. Then Haman recounted to them the glory of his riches. So he's going home and he's bragging about the riches he has. Whoa, honey, take a look at me. Look at this. I'm successful. Look how successful I am. And the number of his sons. You know, he says, look at all I have, honey. Hey, and look how many sons I have. Do I have a mate or what? And then he goes on and says, and every instance where the king had magnified him. He's going over the list of, well, the king did this for me. The king did that for me. Let me tell you, but you know, he did this and this. And how he had promoted him above the princes and servants of the king. Made him number two up there. So he comes home and he says, you know, I've gotten this. I've gotten this. I got this. I got all this stuff. But then he says, verse 12, Haman also said, even Esther the queen, let no one but me come with the king to the banquet which she had prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her with the king. Honey, the queen gave me a private banquet with the king in my honor. And I'm having another one tomorrow. So he has all these wonderful things that has happened in his life. But look what happens next. What we hear from him next. Verse 13. Yet all of these, I'm sorry, all of this does not, what, satisfy me. Every time I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting at the king's gate. Do you see the anger? Here it is. He says, nothing else matters in my life. Yeah, I've got all these things, but oh, I hate this man. Do you see, there's, there's the hatred. And of course, that is the epitome of pride right there. He wants himself to be exalted. He wants everyone to bow down and worship him, right? Except one man says, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to bow down. Much like the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as you recall. King Nebuchadnezzar built the image at the music. Everybody bowed down to worship the image, except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And of course, that angered all the satraps and all the governors and princes under 
uh, Nebuchadnezzar and they went to the king and says, look at these guys, they're standing. They're, they're not bowing to your image. And of course, we know the end of the story. They were thrown into the fire and God spared them. But, but see, Mordecai was, was not going to bow to wickedness in this instance. He knew what was in the heart of Haman. And you and I, uh, many times, will be called, and in the future, I believe it's going to get worse, you and I are going to be called to take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ and stand against wickedness, stand against evil people who hate the name of Christ and hate you as a Christian, just like Haman hated Jews. You and I are hated and will be hated even more in these last days. And we must be ready to take that stand and not be afraid. Just like Mordecai was not afraid of this second-in-command guy. He knew what he was trying to do, annihilate the Jews. And this, this just disturbed Haman. And this kind of pride in Haman's heart, does it ring a bell? Does it ring a bell? Turn with me to Ezekiel 28. We're going to close very shortly. Ezekiel Twenty-eight, and look at verse fourteen. Here is a word of the Lord. Now, as it is, as it is prophesied, uh, the prophecy from the word of the Lord is going against the king of Tyre, the wicked king of Tyre at this time. But in reality, God is speaking here to Satan who is the real king of of Tyre. Because Satan is behind the scenes working in the king of Tyre's heart just like he did in Haman's heart. So Haman's heart was being controlled by Satan and his pride got the best of him. And we see the pride that caused Satan to fall. We see the pride. And look, look at this, how we can tell this is Satan by the description here. Verse 11. Let's go back to verse 11. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of, of, of Tyre. You could put in the name Satan there. And say to him, thus says the Lord God, you had the seal of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. This is the way God made Satan as the most beautiful angel, cherub. You were in where? Verse 13. Eden, the garden of God. Of course that has, this has to refer to Satan. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, and the emerald, and the gold. The workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God, 
This is talking about the heavenly mountain in heaven. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until what? Unrighteousness was found in you. Until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as profane from the mountain of God. Remember, Satan was thrown out of heaven. And I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of the fire. Your heart, verse 17, was filled. I'm sorry, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You you corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. There's pride right there. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. By the multitude of your iniquities, in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries, the ones in heaven. Therefore, I have brought fire from the midst of you. It has consumed you, and I have turned you to the ashes on the earth. And in the eyes of all who see you, all who know you among the people are appalled at you. You will become terrified and you will be no more. Of course, we know one day he will be thrown into the lake of fire. But here we see a description of the pride of Satan that caused him. He had everything. God gave him everything, much like the king gave Haman everything. Position, power, everything else, but it wasn't enough. Pride filled Haman's heart. Satan was using Haman and his pride because Satan is the one who was caused to fall because of his, the sin of his pride. He, what did he want to be like? Remember? He wanted to be like the Most High. You can read about that, that where Satan uh, speaks. You know, God says, you said, I, I want to be like the Most High. And the I wills of Satan are found in Isaiah 14. So I want you to picture this because I want you to see uh, how the enemy is working in one man, Haman. And let's go back now to chapter 5 and wrap this up with the last verse. So so there's no way he can control his rage. Verse 14, Then Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends said to him, Have a gallows 50 cubits high made. And in the morning, ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go joyfully with the king to the banquet. And look at this. The advice pleased Haman. So he had the gallows made. Oh, what a way. Here, all of a sudden, his wife feels so bad for Haman. Says, well, why don't you get rid of the problem? Go hang this guy so you can sleep at night. And Haman says, I like that idea. And so he sends men out to build, build uh, gallows upon which Mordecai is going to be hung. What a, a picture here. But in all this, again, in closing, let's once again see the providence of God. See God's invisible hand at work in every circumstance that is going on here. Satan is at work, God is at work. And in your life and mine this week, Satan will be at work and God will be at work. And it will be battle, the spiritual forces, as Paul talked about. 
This, uh, we are battling the, the forces, the spiritual forces of darkness. And so we need to put on the armor of God. May the Lord give us that protective armor. May we wear it so that we may not allow our hearts uh, to be tricked into to bitterness and anger towards someone or, or holding resentment, but be, be able to say, Lord, uh, guard my heart, Father, that, that I won't allow Satan to get in and stir up my old nature and that we might not be like Haman, but we might be like Mordecai and take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for once again showing us your invisible hand in the life of Esther. And, oh, Father, I pray that we might have the courage she did, Lord, to be willing to say, if I perish, I perish. And, Lord, as we move forward in our lives until the King comes again and we see our Savior face to face, may we be found faithful, Lord. Thank you again for this tremendous truth you presented to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.